If you would open up, get out your Bibles, and also you've got some notes you can follow in your bulletin. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some ushers who are prepared to give you a Bible. If you just lift up your hand, uh, we want to put a Bible into your hand right now. Anybody need a Bible this morning? We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Have you got one right up here? Right up here. Anyone else need a Bible? Uh, If you need a Bible, you can just take it with you. If not, you can just leave it there and we'll pick it up afterwards. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. And as you're turning there, do any of you have a problem singing some of the songs that we sing? Uh, We state some pretty strong theology. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know if I've ever sang that song without tears coming down the side of my face because it's so hard to sing. If you're like me, I'm not so good at that. I sing by faith. And even the unknown tomorrow, we can just go through it rejoicing. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm not always so good at that. But that's why we gather together is because we want to affirm our faith. We want to be encouraged in our faith. And part of what we do also is open up God's Word. And so that's why we do that uh, from week to week. When we get into our passage this morning, what we are running into is that the ministry demands for Jesus are growing. There's a lot going on, and we're going to get a a glimpse into his plans uh, for the continuation of his ministry. His plan has been clear. He's going to come. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to pay the price for our sins. He's going to go back to the right hand of the Father. He's going to rule and reign until he comes back again and sets up his kingdom. But he's going to pass the ministry on to disciples. And so this gets continued to be passed on and continue to get passed on until that gospel proclamation met your ears as well and you received. And as you receive that gospel and you become a follower of Christ, then you are to in turn turn that over to others. We are priests. We have people around us who are Christians and we invite them into a deeper relationship with God. We're priests. We have people around us who don't know the Lord, and we invite them into relationship with God. It's not optional. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And some walked away. They didn't want anything to do with that. And we see that this is what it means to follow Jesus, as he entrusts to us responsibility. So my father grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and He went to a Southern Baptist church, and not everybody there was Christians, not even the leaders. The gospel wasn't proclaimed that much. But one day, my dad ended up into a Sunday school class, and he had a particular Sunday school teacher who did teach the gospel, and he poured that into my dad. My dad responded and received Christ. This man discipled my dad. He went on to Bible college, and he got trained further, went on to seminary, ended up being a chaplain in Vietnam, a pastor in the local church, and then became a teacher equipping others. He led others to the Lord. He discipled others, invited them to a deeper relationship with the Lord. And along the way, he had a seven-year-old son named David, and he, I was Davy at the time, Davy, and he went into the bedroom and was sharing Bible study with myself and my two brothers, and Dave Talley received Christ, and I've had the privilege of leading others to Christ and helping them grow in their faith with the Lord, and then along came my two children in our time of reading the Bible and opening up God's Word. They too received Christ, and now our prayer is that they will in turn pass this on to others and even this morning Andrew's at Fullerton discipling those young people in the youth group over there 
You see, what we have here is just a, a chain that's going down. And so I've entitled the message this morning, One Link in a Very Long Chain. Because look around you, that's what we all are. We have received and we are to pass this on. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And all of you have a story. Ordinary people like me, like those around you, with all of our quirks, our sins, our struggles, our failures, our insecurities, God wants to use us. It's been passed on to us so that the, the, the chain continues until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. So we've got our passage here. Let me read this, and then we'll pray and we'll work our way through it. Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe that for such a time as this, we have all walked through the events of this past week and we await the events of this coming week. And now you have us here with our Bibles open to Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And the Holy Spirit is at work in this room and you have a message for us. So Lord, we pray in your mercy that you would help us to receive that message in light of all that we're going through and what we will go through, that we will receive that message, that you will help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that our lives would be changed today, that we would be even more faithful in following you. So Lord, please work today. Help us to keep our eyes on this text and learn and to grow. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a couple of points that I want to make, and you can see in your bulletin the brief outline that I have there. And the first one is that we see that there is a problem, and that is that there's overwhelming need. And as we work our way through this problem, the overwhelming need, what we're going to see is that Jesus is famous. That's what we see. He's famous. He's a celebrity. And so the first point underneath this is that Jesus' fame is spreading. Look at verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd. Notice it again in verse 8. When the great crowd. 
I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of people. We find in the book of Mark that he uses the term crowd 38 times. Matthew uses it 50 times. Luke 41, John 20. Here's the point. Crowds follow Jesus. Jesus' fame is spreading. And how many is a crowd? Well, we could read in Mark chapter 5 when the crowd gathered, there were 5,000 and it indicates men meaning they probably had families with them as well. Mark chapter 8, we see 4,000. It's only two references where we see this crowd. Other times, it's just this great crowd. Now, it's easy to notice the animosity toward Jesus. In fact, we just finished up a series of passages where this, this tension with the religious leaders was escalating. And so it's easy for us to point that out, but actually, Mark makes a bigger deal of Jesus' fame. He really has celebrity status as he goes through this particular time. And you see there's a list of all the places where, um, G- the, where the people are coming from that follow Jesus. I looked all over for a map, and this children's Bible map was my favorite one. It just, everything was so clear on it. But they're from Galilee. Just look at the list. It's got Galilee. We also see Judea. See how far those are apart. We've got Jerusalem there as well. We've got Enumia way down there in the bottom. And then this period, this place of territory across the Jordan River. And then also up in Tyre and Sidon. I mean, this is quite a large geographic reign. Now, Jesus did a lot of his ministry around Capernaum. We've already seen that. And so when you think about that, it's 50 miles somewhat to the north, 120 miles to the south. He is famous. And I think the point that Mark is trying to make for us is no matter which direction you went, Jesus was known and his fame is spreading from this. Now, why did they come? Well, the second part of verse 8 tells us that. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And it was this week that Jesus' humanity is really what stood out to me. Now, we think oftentimes in terms of, well, he's the son of God. He can handle all this stuff. Jesus walked the, the face of this earth as a man. And he had limitations. And this whole idea that the people are just pressing in on him, they wanted something from him. Their desires seemed so reasonable to him. They were in pain. Many were desperate Jesus was possibly their last hope. And as I meditated through this, I thought of dads bringing their children to Jesus, longing for him to heal them, or moms with tears coming down their face. Jesus is their last hope. And they've heard he's in the area, and they're coming to him. Everybody wanted something from him. Maybe barren woman begging him to open up their womb or no doubt touching poverty or maybe even orphans running to him hoping that Jesus might be able to help them in their plight. And as we often see the demon possessed writhing in front of him. They all wanted. Very few became his disciples but the crowds were with him wherever he went. Mostly wanting the benefits which, by the way, God is willing to freely give. But they wanted it without the commitment. They were consumers. And so the crowds are pressing in on them. Verse 9, 
Look what it says. And he told his disciples have a boat ready because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Now, we can't just read over that. I mean, lest they crush him. In verse 10, it goes on, so that all who had diseases pressed around him, not just around him, but they wanted to touch him. Think about a mob just descending on him. We go back to chapter 2 in verse 2. They were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. If we look forward to the very first verse in next week's passage, chapter 3, verse 20, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. This is what Jesus' life is like. Even in chapter 5, Jesus is pushing his way through the crowd and someone touches him and he stopped. And he says, who was it that touched me? And the disciples mock him just a little bit. What What do you mean? People are just crushing you and you want to know who touched you? Everybody. That was Jesus' life. That's what he's up against. Jesus, it's celebrity status. This so gripped me this week that I read through the entire book of Mark. Again, just trying to notice all the ways that crowds were pressing in on Jesus. He was a celebrity. It's not just the tension between the two. That's what had marked up my Bible. Reading through Mark was all the conflict. But now my Bible's marked up with the celebrity status of Jesus. I remember once when I was in the Starbucks, and there's a particular lady there who is very flamboyant, very loud, very articulate, and hand motions all over the place. And she happened to be behind, around the front of the counter, and she was talking to a friend, I mean, like face to face, just right there in that person's face. And I, unfortunately, was right next to her, and she was going crazy. Oh, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, he was standing right here. Johnny Depp was standing right here. You know, and I was like, what in the world? I didn't know who Johnny Depp was, but she was really excited about it. I came home, my children, you know, gave me that look like, and then they told me what John, who Johnny Depp is. But that kind of attitude, I mean, if I can just translate that into Jesus, That's what a lot of the crowds were doing with Jesus. They were so excited and people wanted, wanted, wanted simply what they could get from him and every situation was intense and highly emotional. I doubt if there was anyone just casually saying, well, I just wanted to meet you. They all wanted something from him. Pain, death, disease, demons, injustice, people running after him, interrupting him all the time. His fame is spreading. But not only that, we also see that Jesus has a strategy to meet the demands. And I just, again, I poured through the book of Mark, reading through all these things. But look what we have in our passage. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew. He's a tired man. He only has so much energy, he withdraws. And then in verse 9, he says, have a boat ready because these crowds are pressing in on me. I mean, Jesus is trying to deal with all that he's up against. Again, in chapter 4, verse 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He's just pushing back a little bit. You know how they put ropes to keep you away from people, that's his rope. He's going out into the sea. In chapter 6 and verse 31 and 32, again it talks, they didn't even have time to eat. And we could go through the whole book and find situations like this. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, 
Larry Crabb was probably the, one of the leading, if not the leading Christian psychologist. And he happened to be at Grace Theological Seminary where I was studying at the time. And so I thought, well, this would be good to get a degree, degree in counseling. And I would study underneath one of the best in the field. And so I studied underneath him. And then at the end of the year, they would choose a, just a select number of students to come back the next year and serve as interns with them. And I was really fortunate to be able to serve as an intern. So we gathered at the meeting, all the interns, what our responsibilities were for the next year. Well, one of the perks slash responsibility was we got to go to one of his seminars with him. He had seminars all over the United States. I mean, big crowds. And as we, de- as we were briefing about what was going to happen, I actually came to Pasadena, California for mine. I'd never been to California before. I thought that would be cool. Never thought I'd live here. But I was at that conference, and here this was my job, one of my main jobs. When the session was over, people would rush, and they would press in on him. And everyone wanted his time. Tears, pain, intense, highly emotional. Very rarely, oh, would you sign my book? I mean, it was always usually just intense stuff. And here was my job. Session was over. Check my watch. That's back when we wore watches. Now I'd pull my phone out and check it. But check my watch. And there was a designated amount of time that I was to allow people to press in on him. While the clock was ticking, I went and got the getaway car, the boat, the little getaway car, and I drove it up to the getaway passage. And that's where the car was running, ready to go, so I could go in there and in the kindest, most considerate way possible, be rude and intrude and then usher Larry out of the room. That was my job. And I had to time this. I had to stay on the clock, had to watch tears. What's going on with the people right now? Is this a bad time? Is this a good time? It was never a good time. I had to choose the best opportune time and get him out of there. Why was that? Because people wanted a little bit of his time and he only had so much energy. That's what Jesus is up against. And there are many people in this church who serve in this kind of way. And you give yourself selflessly to people around you. And we need to learn from looking at Jesus' life that we've got to make time to withdraw. We've got to make time to have the boat ready. We've got to get away to the private place, the desolate place. Again, just reading through the whole book of Mark and finding all these ways that Jesus did this. And we've got to understand that those who are giving themselves tirelessly, we need to sometimes encourage them to do so and to be protective of them. There's a good weariness that we can have. Some of us are weary for all the wrong reasons. We can't put down a computer game or just love sports so much, just can't get enough of it. We're running frantically here and there doing all these things. But there's a good weariness And Jesus models that good weariness for us. And Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 15, says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's a good weariness that we are engaged in. And Jesus had a strategy to meet those demands. But one more point I want us to pull out of this is Jesus' focus remains constant. I've never quite known what to do with verses 11 and 12 and verses like it. We've already seen this happen in the book of Mark. But in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now what's going on here? 
Now, by the way, this is the contrast of those who were coming just wanting something from him. Give me, give me, give me, give me. These demons were throwing these people on the ground and they were declaring him to be who he is. It reminds me of this past semester teaching Old Testament history and literature. Bible. we've been going recently through Samuel. And again, that scene where the Philistines steal the ark and they bring it into the temple of Dagon and they go to bed and they wake up the next morning and Dagon is lying flat on his face before the ark. And they pick up their God, dust him off, put him back up on his pedestal, go to bed again. They wake up the next morning. He's flat on his face before the ark and his limbs are cut off. And they super glue the limbs back on, dust him off, put him back up on their pedestal and they will gladly worship this God. And what do they do with the ark? They send it out. They get rid of that. That's the proper response to who the Lord is. And the demons give that proper response. All the other people for the most part just wanting something from Jesus. The demons recognize who he is and they drop flat on their face. And Jesus sternly warns them in verse 12 there, sternly warns him not to make him known. Now, why is that? What what I'm calling it here is Jesus' focus remains constant. he, He silences them. And we've seen this a number of times already in Mark. His fame is spreading and Jesus is not about to set up a big ministry center and heal people so people from all over the world can come to the man and get healed and he can just give, give, give. No, Jesus has his face set set on what God's plan is for his life. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He's on his way to a cross and it's not his time yet. His fame is all over, but it's not his time yet. And so Jesus would often depart, dodge, get out of the way until that day when he's boldly going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to willingly lay down his life. He stays focused on this whole thing. And so he silences the demons. It's not my time. You see, Jesus, again, is modeling for us. We are looking at the life of Jesus. And he's modeling for us that we, too, need to stay that course. We cannot be sidetracked by things. It echoes the words of Hebrews 12, where it says, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy set down before him. Paul says, I have kept the course. I finished it. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. We are not digging deep roots in this world. We have a target. And we are to be faithful and continuing to proclaim in the way that Jesus passes this on to the disciples who passed it on, who passed it on, who passed it on. We continue to pass it on as well. The best dissertation advice I received when I was writing my dissertation was this from a mentor. He said, Dave, on your computer screen, your monitor, I want you to tape all the verses in the Old Testament that you are trying to deal with. There was 30-some. Just get all those verses, tape them beside your monitor, and constantly, as your eyes are fixed on whatever you're doing on your computer, you ask yourself the question, is what I'm doing on this document right here helping me understand these verses better? If it's not, then get off that rabbit trail and stay focused on your verses. Best advice I received. And so if I was not developing something that helped me understand these verses, rabbit trail, and I got rid of that. And I stayed focused on what I was doing. That's what Jesus is teaching us about life here, that we are to stay on focus. 
So there's this overwhelming need. Jesus is staying the course. But what's he going to do about all this? If that's his course to die on the cross, then what's he going to do? We see the problem, but here's the solution. He's going to share the ministry. He's going to share it with others. And so the first thing that we're going to see here is that Jesus builds his team in verses 13 and 14. He goes up to a mountain. He called to him those who he desired. They came to him. He appointed 12 who he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And so Jesus calls these. He appoints these 12. There's an overwhelming need. That's our context. Crowds pressing in on him, many people to reach. People are coming from all over. He's going to send these apostles out to take the same message out there. And we see similarly in the book of Matthew in chapter 9, 35 to 38, the, the passage that precedes the calling of the 12, it's a little different context, but very similar. Here is the overwhelming need in Matthew. It's look at the fields. They're white. They're ready for harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Again, that's a different way of looking at that overwhelming need that is there. So why does he appoint the 12? We see in verse 14, and he appointed 12 so that they might, number one, be with him. And number two, he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Number one, to be with him. This is team. Jesus gathers a group around him and they are in it together. You see, Jesus came preaching the kingdom, but now... He's going to equip others to be a part of this. This really models for us Ephesians 4.12. He gives some certain gifts to equip others to do the work of the ministry. Jesus is modeling that for us. And these 12 become the foundation of the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 19 through 22, listen to what it says here. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We are a building. Christ is the cornerstone. These 12 apostles are the foundation on which everything is built, in whom the whole structure, that includes us, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And that's continuing to grow, this temple. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A picture of a building growing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 to 5 and 9 and 10 has the same imagery of the building. We are all being built up into a spiritual house. Why? Verses 9 and 10. To proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. We're all a building and so the foundation of the apostles is there. Jesus is the cornerstone and they receive and now they pass that on to others who receive and then they're gonna pass that on to others until one day, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ in this room, we received and now we are to pass that on to others. We are a team. We are a team in this and we have many teams in this church but we're all a part of that team. In following Christ, it's not an option as to whether we're going to pass that on or not. That's not an option. That's what Christians do. And Jesus goes on and says, so he's got this team. 
that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And all of this preaching and the casting out demons is the kingdom of light pushing into the kingdom of darkness. It's being ambassadors of light and moving that. At the end of Romans, Paul says, may God soon crush Satan under our feet, that darkness under our feet. Crush it how? By the gospel going forth. And so it's about mission. That's why he sends them out to preach and have authority. It's about mission. We are united. We're in it together as a team with a mission pushing back the spread of darkness in this world. So Jesus' message becomes the disciples' message. And it's passed on and it becomes our message. It's all about the mission. There's many people to reach. There are still language groups that do not have a Bible the gospel in their language. And so we support people like the O'Harans. A part of that very strategic work so that more and more can hear the name of Jesus, something that we take for granted in the Bibles that we have. That's why Roberto's down in Colombia to help equip people to get into, they have better access than he does into the Middle East for lots of reasons so that more and more people, the least reached people can hear about the Lord. It's why we put the Woodruffs out there, the Hermans out there. And just, that's why we have a focus there. And when we receive offerings, about 20% of that is trying to get that gospel out there the best that we can. Because we are in it together as ambassadors with a mission. This past week, my wife is gone, and so I've been trying to do a little sprucing up in her house, and I did something very risky. I painted our bedroom without consulting her on the color. So that's a beautiful color. I, I invited Sherry and, uh, Sherry and Walt Hera over to just help me. By the way, did I tell you about Walt's hand, that he burned himself? Yeah. So that's how bad my memory is. But I invited them over because, you know, their house has all these beautiful colors in it, and so I said, can you help me with my bedroom? So anyway, I'm trying to surprise her, but here's the point. Because I changed the color scheme and the arrangement of the bedroom, which is also risky, I had to change the, the plug outlets, light switches and everything, and the plates. And so, you know, it just I'm not good at all this stuff. And so I said, all right, I'm just going to sit down and do it. And, and you can scold me for this afterwards. Some of you can identify with me. Joni would love it if you would scold me. I don't turn the electricity off. Mm, mm, I'm alive. And I've never done it. I mean, after it just became too complicated, go out to my box and just all these switches and just you turn off this and, and then I'm resetting this clock and doing all that. And I still haven't found the stupid switch. So I just decided, yeah, surely you can do this. I mean, so I, I do it that way. I get shocked several times. So in the process of doing this, I have these really nice pliers that, that help me do it. And so I'm always trying to just do it right and pulling the cords out and pushing them in. But every now and then, I'm so intent on trying to pull the cord out that my finger slides down and touches the metal part of the plier. Bam! Oh! Okay. So then I pick it back up, and I'm doing it again. I'm being very careful. Oh! You, you know, you ever been shocked like that? I mean, it's just, it gets, woo! It's like it's going to stop your heart. So every outlet I change, I get charged just a little bit. If there's a glow, it's because I've been working on these things. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I started getting angry at the electricity. It's like, stop that. I mean, I just started getting angry at it. But then I thought about it, and I thought, now, wait a second. 
electricity is just doing what electricity does. I mean, this is what, this is what electricity is. It's just being electricity. And that's my point here. <laughs> Let's bring it back here. It's just being electricity. And what's going on in this passage? It's what it means to be a Christian. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is not, oh my goodness, another burden. One more thing I got to do. I got to take the message I received and pass it on to others. No. The electricity isn't sitting there going, I'm going to shock him. I guess I got to do it. Got to do. No. It's just being electricity. And we're just to be Christians. We're to be those ambassadors who continue to pass on that message to others. And as we are working our way through the gospel of Mark, we are seeing Jesus. We are being confronted with Jesus. We are being confronted with what it means to follow Jesus. And I don't know what your approach is when we go, we're going to go through the gospel of Mark. Ah, everyone knows the gospels. No, we've got to feel what's going on in this book. And as Jesus walks into the religious status quo, he's not accepted and he's not received. And we have to search our hearts and say, are we receiving this? Are, are we recognizing this is what it means to follow him? Because the disciples, I'm not certain they knew what they were signing up for. I mean, look what we get. We eventually get the 12 sent ones, and there's the whole list. He appointed 12. And we went through the whole list earlier. I'm not certain they know what they were signing up for. I've been reading through the Gospel of John, and I'm in that area of 14 through 17. The high priestly prayer is just been working my way through verse, chapter 17 recently. And Jesus is about to go back to the Father, and he says, Lord, he says, Father, I pray that you'll keep him from the evil one. And he's already told his disciples, a disciple's not above his teacher. If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You see, I'm not certain they knew what they were signing up for, but listen to what they did sign up for. Simon Peter was crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. This is all taken from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. James was executed by the sword. John was sentenced to be boiled in oil. Then he was exiled to Patmos. And then he was forced to drink poison. He ended up dying naturally. Andrew was crucified. Philip, crucified and stoned. Bartholomew, flayed by whips, tearing off his flesh and then martyred upside down. Matthew, beheaded. Thomas was speared to death. James was stoned. Thaddeus or Judas was executed by arrows or a javelin. Simon, tradition tells us, was sawn in two. Mark was dragged through cobblestone streets until his body was ripped, and then he died a painful death. Even Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, was stoned. Listen to this one account about Andrew in the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Unwilling to recant his faith in Christ, Andrew was tied to an X-shaped cross to die a slow and painful death. This particular cross is still called St. Andrew's Cross. One source says that when Andrew came near the cross, he said, Oh, beloved cross, I have greatly longed for you. I rejoice to see thee erected here. 
I come to thee with peaceful conscience and with cheerfulness desiring that I, whom a disciple of him who hung on the cross, may also be crucified. The nearer I come to the cross, the nearer I come to God. And the farther I am from the cross, the farther I remain from God. And then it goes on and says, Andrew hung for three days on the cross. Now listen to this. And during this time, he taught the people who stood near him. Here is Andrew. He's one link in a chain. Hanging on a cross for three days. And what is he doing? He's passing that on so that others could receive. You see, that's what Christians do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Not necessarily to hang on a cross. That may not be what awaits us. But being one who proclaims the excellencies of him who called us. We are a link in a very long chain. Our call is clear. We are to join with Jesus and make his mission our mission until he returns. What does that mean for you? Is Jesus' mission your mission? So I'm going to have you all stand And the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. But as you stand, would you bow your heads? I want to to pray for you. Bow your heads. Are you distracted this morning? You've lost that sense of mission. Or are you weary? It's a good weariness. Just you're weary. Or are you weary for the wrong reasons? Are you letting others carry out his mission while you watch? Are you walking away? We need to pray for faithfulness. And so I want you to be our closing prayer. I want you to reach over to the person next to you and put your arm up on their shoulder. All around the room, I want us to put our arms on one another's shoulders. Number one, because we are a team. And number two, because I want you to pray for one another. I want you to think of those people next to you as partners in the mission that God has given us. And I want you to pray for them that they would be faithful Just pray, pray that we would all be that link in the chain and that we would continue in faithfulness until Jesus comes back. Pray all around the room right now.